Happy Mother's Day. This is, uh, this is a fun day, a day that we can honor and, and celebrate moms for um, moments like these, for instance, you know, when the uh, kids are beautifully dressed and your hair is all done perfectly and you're walking in a beautiful landscape. Uh, we, we honor and celebrate moms for moments like this when everybody's all smiles. The lighting is perfect. It's beautiful. And we remember and honor and celebrate moms for moments that feel more like this. You got a young one on your hip trying to cook dinner and another one you're trying to keep out of the cooking bowl, right? <clears throat> or moments like this. There's dirty dishes in the sink. There's toys all over the floor, but it's just time to sit down and have a conversation. Or even moments like this where, you know, the bed's unmade and there's toys around, but it's time to sit down and read a story. Both clean, beautiful moments of life and, and also the sort of unclean but real moments of life. Those pictures are taken by a photographer named Erin Suds in a project that she called Motherhood Unfiltered. And of course, everyday life holds both clean and unclean moments. Like, this is one of my favorite photos. Um, on the left is what goes on Instagram, right? On the right is what's really going on behind the scenes. And, you know, motherhood can just kind of be wonky at times. And, and truthfully, Mother's Day is a kind of a bonkers holiday because on the one hand, we want to celebrate moms and grandmas and great-grandmas and great-great-grandmas and, and all, the, all, all the, the wonderful things they contribute in our lives. And uh, we've done that with, we've got chocolate-covered bacon in the foyer for you today. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. We want to celebrate. But on the other hand, so many women hurt on this day. Women who've lost children, women who can't have children, women who don't want children, women with estranged children. And so we bring all of that joy and all of that pain and we bring all of that to the living Lord Jesus. And we recognize, we recognize today the value of every woman and every woman's con contribution to the family we call church. Sometimes, it, to, it, to me, it must feel a little bit uh, like this. This is a this is a statue that was put up in uh, Spain a number of years ago. It's um, it's called a mother's love. It's a woman kind of cradling a child underneath her, and on her shoulders are the weight of all these cleaning utensils. Okay, there's a washer on there. There's a vacuum cleaner, uh, hamper, ironing board, just all this kind of cleaning stuff up on her shoulders. It was supposed to raise public awareness about gender stereotypes and about women carrying the full weight of household chores. Some of you know that acutely. <laughs> But here's my point this morning. Here's what I want all of us to hear. You don't need to carry on your shoulders the wonky weight of determining clean and unclean. Over the last few months, we've been walking through the book of Acts together. In this series that we're calling Bonkers this month, uh, we encountered kind of a strange set of miracles and, a, and a, something that was just the beginning of something bonkers in Acts chapter 9. And today I want to pick up the story in Acts chapter 10. And if you, you brought a Bible or you have a journal with you or a, a, a smartphone app, Acts 10 is where we're going to see really what I think is, is God kind of sitting on the floor and telling his church a new story. 
And we also see something falling off the shoulders, kind of a wonky weight. And I think if we let this story speak to us, it might just drop the same kind of weight off our shoulders too. So Acts 10, why don't you open up there with me if you've got that in front of you. And I want to begin by questioning clean and unclean. Acts 10, uh, starting in verse 1, uh, Luke the writer says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Cornelius worked as a soldier in the Roman army. He worked his way through the ranks, perhaps, uh, he now has command of, of people, scholars disagree, 60, 80, 100 people, something like that. Uh, his time of service it would have been 20 years, and however, most enlisted men in those days didn't survive that long, but if he did, his military pension would have been huge. Now, maybe you have a positive picture in your mind, military man, probably looks good in a uniform, you know, disciplined. But if you're a Jewish Christian in the first century world, you have to understand this man took up arms for the enemy, the occupying power, Rome. He swore allegiance to the divine emperor. And Luke's later audience would, would remember all too well what Roman soldiers did to Jerusalem in 70 AD when they marched in, destroyed the town and the temple. So he's on the wrong side. He's a Gentile. He's not a part of God's team. He's a part of the team that crucified Jesus. At worst, he's an enemy of God at best. He's guilty by association. He's unclean. We can all agree on that. But then again, verse 2, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. He has given his life to God, this Yahweh God. God-fearing was Luke's way of describing a Gentile person, a non-Jewish person, who put their faith and allegiance in God but hadn't been circumcised yet. He was not a part of the covenant people, but he is living on the edges of this worship of Almighty God. And he's generous. He gives his money away to those in need. He prays. He even prays during the normal Jewish times of prayer in verse 3 at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You know what? We may have been hasty in our judgment earlier. This Cornelius, he's on the right side. He's a God-fearer. He's part of God's people by extension. At worst, he's growing in his worship of the one true God. At best, he's a part of God's mission to bless the world. He's clean. So which is it? Is he clean or unclean? Well, the story goes on. He had a vision. Uh, this angel spoke to him in this vision, and he was supposed to send for Peter, who's in a neighboring town, Peter in verse 6, who is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, we know Peter. Peter's on the right side. He's one of the 12 apostles, right? He's, he's one of the inner circle of Jesus. He's tight with God. In fact, he just raised a woman from the dead. He's clean. We know he's clean. And yet, he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. A tanner would strip animal hides, which means they worked all day long with dead animal carcasses. Pharisees, kind of righteous Jewish people, wouldn't be caught dead in a tanner's house, pun sort of intended. They wouldn't go near it. Most pious Jews would stay far away. He was unclean, and yet Peter is right there with him. So maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong about Peter. Maybe he's unclean. 
So let me ask you, who's clean? Who's unclean? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's good? Who's bad? Who deserves God's mercy and who does not? We know the answer to these kinds of questions, don't we? Of course we do. You answer this every time you lay your eyes on a person around you. How you welcome that person or refuse them, how you treat that person is your answer. Let's test this. Uh, let me put some pictures up here, and, and you just tell me whether, in your opinion, in your eyes, whether the thing is clean that I'm showing you or unclean, okay? And you can even help me out here. Uh, just make a little C with your hand if you think it's clean to you, or, or flip it up and make it a U if it's unclean, all right? We'll, we'll see, in your opinion, for instance, uh, this desk, do you think that's clean or unclean? Go ahead. All right. A lot of unclean. Some of you know this is what your desk looks like. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's try again here. How about this car? Is that clean or unclean in your estimation? Okay. Some of you are car people and you are shuddering right now. And your parents are like, I don't know. That looks pretty, pretty good. Like, uh, how about this, uh, this home? Is that clean or unclean in your estimation? What do you think? Okay. Again, if you're a parent, you're like, that's perfectly normal. All right, okay. So we all have kind of a different opinions about clean and unclean. That's fine. Let's get a little bit more challenging now. You don't need to give hand signals on this, but I want you to think through. Is this clean or unclean, good or bad, right or wrong? Okay, you decide. Ready? Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. <laughs> right or wrong? Clean or unclean? How about illegal immigrants to the United States of America? Trying to do right by their family? But did they do it legally? Clean or unclean? Right or wrong? How about... A good Christian mom versus a mom who shot and killed her three kids. Who deserves our support? Who deserves our condemnation? Who's in with God and who's on the outs with God? Who is clean? Who is unclean? Who should get God's blessing? Who should not? You see the problem even as we read this story. Cornelius is unclean. Or is he? Peter is clean. Or, or is he? What about you? Clean? Or unclean? Or maybe the bigger question is this, who do you want to make that call? This story is wonky, and it's about to get more wonky as we keep reading, especially as we consider Peter's cleansing diet. You see, Cornelius has this vision. He takes it seriously. He sends a couple of servants and a fellow soldier to go find Peter. They travel 30 miles south to Joppa. Now, uh, if Cornelius' messengers left immediately after his vision at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they walked down to Joppa, as was pr pretty typical, it would have taken them, you know, many, many hours, probably late into the night. But they're getting there by noon the next day. Their task is urgent. And Peter down in Joppa, he's oblivious to all this, this vision with Cornelius and all this stuff. He goes up on a rooftop to pray. 
and he's hungry, and they're preparing a meal, and this is what happens in Acts 10, verse 11. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet uh, being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, you know, every Jewish person worth their their salt knows this one thing, that according to their law, there are some things that you can't eat and some things that you can't eat. Okay? Even uh, early Christians kept the same kind of food laws in their faith. Uh, Chicken, turkey, duck, get the barbecue ready. Let's go. Rabbit, pig, no way. Except for us on Mother's Day, we're going to have a little pig in the foyer for all you ladies today. It's called bacon. (laughs) Chocolate-covered bacon. You'll see more about that here in just a moment. But for early Christians, early Jewish people, no way. Bacon, no, no, no. Chicken, turkey, duck, come on. Come on. Light up the grill. Here we go. Vultures, hawks, not in your life. Unclean. Snakes, lizards, any reptiles at all? No, 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 no. Can't eat any of that stuff. See, God commands Peter to eat these unclean animals. And even though he's hungry, he's not that hungry. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter said. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Again, you moms have heard that from your kids somewhere along the line, I'm sure. I ain't eaten that. That's gross. And then the vision happens again. Same sheet comes down, same menu, same denial by Peter. Peter's pretty good at denials, you know. Then it happens a third time. Same sheet, same smorgasbord, same refusal. And each time the voice from heaven says the same thing to him. It says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Three times. But Peter doesn't get it. Verse 17, it says, uh, he, he's left wondering about the meaning of the vision. The, the word, Luke's word is uh, diapareo. It means he's utterly perplexed. He is at complete loss. He is baffled by this. It's the same word used in uh, Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down and invaded and people began speaking in foreign tongues, the wonders of God. They were baffled. Peter is baffled. His mind is blown. It does not compute. And again, again, you moms, you grandmas, you've seen this look in your kids and grandkids before. They don't get it. You've told them 27 minutes million times to put the dirty dishes in the sink, and they still don't get it. They're baffled. They don't understand. So I just want to give you some language, a little bit of a gift today that you can share with them when they don't get it, your kids, your grandkids, whatever. You can say, for instance, honey, you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You can say, your elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. You could go old school and you could say your sewing machine's out of thread. Your belt doesn't go through all the loops. Your skylight leaks a little. You're 24 cents short of a quarter. Or, ooh, this is tough, if you had another brain, it would be lonely. Ooh, no, don't say that to your kids. But you're going to be thinking it now, aren't you? See, if you see your mom giggling this afternoon, don't know why, she's thinking this. The Jewish law was clear. 
don't eat certain animals. They're unclean. But now this voice from heaven says, have a little ham for lunch, Peter. Have some bacon on Mother's Day. And his head is spinning. He doesn't get it. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Well, what is clean? And what is unclean? What is right and what is wrong? See, our faith, our Christian faith is clear. Sexual sin is wrong. Gossip is wrong. Lust and greed and, and not giving generously to the work of God and to people in need. Wrong. Neglecting the good we ought to do. Wrong. Prayerlessness. Ignoring God. Wrong. So then what do we do with all the people doing all these wrong things? Well, we know what we do. You shut the door on them. You, you slur them. We, we argue with them on social media. We, we shame them into acknowledging the truth. We slander their news channels, and we roll our eyes at their ignorance. We, we scoff at their beliefs and their sins, and, and, and we judge them because we know what's clean and what's not clean. And we... We so often keep our hands clean and out of the mud. We stay away from those playing in the mud. We keep clear of the mud. That, that's what you moms do, right? I mean, when your kids go out to the playground and they get in the mud and they make mistakes and they get into trouble, you just shun them and you run away and you say, unclean, unclean. That's what I did to my wife, Jody. A few years ago, she ran in this 5K race. It was called a color run. Have you heard of these? You run a 5K, people throw colored, I don't know, chalk or something on them as they go, and we, we paid for the privilege of her doing this. And, and when she was done in that race, she was covered just head to toe with color and all the rest, and she was unclean, unclean, so I ditched her. <laughs> I drove home. I haven't seen her since. I don't know where she's at. I, I, that's what you parents do, right, with your kids when they get into trouble and they get muddy and dirty and all the rest. No, you don't. You don't. I mean, when your toddler makes mud pies on the playground, when they pinch the playmate, when they push a kid down the slide and he's not supposed to, and they're crying and screaming, when they go to the bathroom in their pants at the most inopportune time, you don't put them up on eBay. You might consider it, but we don't. What do we do instead? We wade into what's unclean because of our love. So why, with other people who come into our lives, do we so quickly adopt a queen of hearts mentality, you know, from the Wizard of Oz, off with their heads? See, down through the ages, the voice of God echoes this wonky wisdom all the way down to us. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I wonder, are you guilty of that? I think I am. Maybe today we all need to confess we're one fry short of a happy meal, just like Peter. Maybe we need to let this wonky weight of judging clean and unclean drop off our shoulders too. Well, Peter's baffled, but he hears God's spirit say to him in verse 19, Simon, uh, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them, God says. Do not hesitate to go with these unclean people. Doesn't the spirit know these guys? 
Doesn't the Spirit know what they've done, where they've come from, what they believe? Is God so blind that He can't see the difference between clean and unclean and good and bad, like, you know, like, like I can? We, we know what to do with people on the wrong side of this line. Or, or do we? You see, this story gets totally bonkers by the end, and it has us turning clean and unclean on its head. See, Peter does go with these messengers. He walks the 30 miles up the coast to Caesarea. A crowd gathers, and Peter enters the house. Now, keep in mind, most devout Jews would never enter a, a Gentile's house. They wouldn't even go in. They wouldn't allow a Gentile person into their homes. This is unseemly. Peter is crossing these deep cultural boundary lines that has defined his people for generations. He steps into their presence. Every eye is on him. Everybody's holding their breath. And what does he say? Acts chapter 10, verse 28. He said, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Good, Peter, give it to him. Tell him the way it is. We Jews don't hang out with people like you. And then he says, but God, but God, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And just like that, the gospel of Jesus breaks the stick in our hands that we use to draw a line in the sand the line between clean and unclean and good and bad and deserving God's grace and beyond God's grace, the line between me and you. And the weight of all of that evaluation, all of that condemnation can drop right off your shoulders, you know. You don't have to judge every person that comes into your life. You don't have to judge people that come into your home. You don't have to judge people that come into our church. You may disagree. You may wonder. You may doubt. Of course, their, their look, their choices, their bad behavior, they, they may make you want to grab the gavel and slam it down and call them unclean, but drop the gavel. Release the wonky weight off your shoulders. You have way too much else to do in the kingdom of the living God. You can let that go. All you need to do for a start, for a start, is welcome people. Hello. God bless you. Come on in. Come on in. Uh, Marguerite wasn't welcomed, not at first. She was a little girl. Her parents divorced, and she and her brother Bailey were shipped away from their St. Louis home, you know, get out. <laughs> When she came back to visit her mom, her mom got a new boyfriend. He took a shine to her, and ultimately he raped her. And from that point on, she was deemed unclean. She was not welcome. She did testify against that man in court. She named him in court, and her uncles, later outside of court, found that man and beat him to death. And believing that she caused the man's death by speaking his name in court, she would then not speak. She would go voluntarily mute for five years. Wouldn't say anything. People looked at her. She was broken. She was hurting. She was reeling. She was mute. And they all had the same judgment. Unclean. 
But in Stamps, Arkansas, her grandmother welcomed her. She owned a a little store, general store down there. Marguerite spent a lot of time with her. Her grandmother helped her develop a, a, some sense of identity, some, some pride and self-confidence. And, and Marguerite would go on as she grew up into her teenage years to, to do theater and to dance. And she traveled. She started a family. And she wrote. She wrote about her life. She wrote about her struggles. She wrote about the, the power of welcome. And you, you've probably even heard some of the things that she's written in her life. Her, her pen name is uh, Maya Angelou. And there was something that she wrote that has always stuck with me. She, she said, uh, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Maya was a woman who finally felt welcome. Well, Cornelius told Peter his vision from God as he stood in his house. And Peter, his mind blown by all of this, finally sort of concludes with these words in verse 34 of chapter 10. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter says in verse 36, Jesus is Lord of all of all. He remembers how Jesus, in verse 38, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. All. And he recalls how the prophets, in verse 43, how they testified that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Every single person, every single person here, every single person that you know, every single person you lay eyes on this week, every last one is welcome. You don't even have to give that a second thought. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever, do you know how big that word is? Whoever, devout people, yes, whoever. Con men, you bet. Well-respected, dregs of society, whoever. Clean unclean, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We're thankful for this good news, Lord God Almighty, and we pray that like Jesus, our arms would be open and welcome, that we would balance truth and love, but honestly, that we would be inviting and open and caring and welcoming and all the things that are so hard to be in a divisive society. Help us, Lord, to love first and loudest, we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.